Aloha, friends. I'm Darina. And I'm Sean. Welcome to Eat, Pray, Run. We are in season three of our podcast, and we're inviting you to join us for an adventure chasing God's glory as we eat, pray, and run. Sean and I have been hosting conversations this season with athletes, artists, chefs, authors, and others about food, fitness, and faith. And this is a podcast about learning to chase God's glory in our everyday lives. You can always expect a thoughtful quote, an engaging interview, and a little prayer. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 12. This is the final episode for Season 3. On November 28th, my wife will be launching four bonus episodes for Advent on the theme chosen. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast now so you don't miss those bonus episodes created to help you celebrate Advent with your family. Each week, I share a little reflection on what it means to be a glory chaser. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. I knew I only had a few minutes if I wanted to catch it. I jogged faster, climbed over rocks, scrambled around strange bushes. My foot caught on something, and I stumbled. The darkness rushed in behind me, but I kept moving forward, sprinting, now straight for that light. Finally, I made it to the top of the steep hill, and there it was, the view I had been anticipating all day. I sucked in a huge breath, beholding the giant ball of orange-crimson, fiery sun floating over the expanse of ocean before me, so much bigger and more beautiful than I had imagined. Pictures couldn't capture the depth of color and the expanse of the landscape. They were mere reflections of such a greater, fuller, more glorious beauty. The sunball slipped ever so quickly into the coin slot of the horizon. My heart filled with a strange sadness that I could only enjoy it for a few seconds. But what came next was the real surprise. That's when I saw the glory unfolding. The sky filled with ribbons of dancing color extending from that place where the sun had been a deep merlot, a pumpkin orange, a lemon yellow, a dusky lavender. I heard a symphony of waves roaring below me. And as the minutes ticked by, a heavy blanket of the purest, deepest indigo gently covered over it all. A dot of moon hung in the distance. And in that space, I could speak only one word, glory. It escaped like a whisper from my lips. This was his glory displayed just for me, or so it seemed. I will always remember that moment. I was filled with indescribable warmth and gentle peace and overwhelming sense that my creator was there. And after months of fighting back my worst fears and enduring such pain and sickness and death and grief, he was reaching out to me with the arms of a sunset and whispering, I am here. I see you. I am unfolding something more glorious than you could ever imagine. I was wonder-filled. My trusty dictionary tells me the word wonder means something or someone that is very surprising, 
beautiful or amazing, something that is hard to believe, a cause of astonishment or admiration. And that's how I feel about God. When lost in the colors of a sunset or hearing the roar of the ocean or standing beside a giant redwood tree, friends, if we slow down our schedules, our bodies, our thoughts, our hearts, and take in the beauty of creation, we can't help but meet the one and only divine creator. But it's so easy to get caught up in the to-do list and the piles of laundry on the couch and rush them to school and punch the time clock mentality and entirely miss seeing God right in front of us in the created world and in our relationships. God wants us to have a sense of wonder about his glory in creation. He wants our days to be wonderful, wonder-filled. He wants us to see creation as a tangible reminder that he is present with us in all kinds of circumstances. And that's what David was recognizing in Psalm 19.1 when he wrote or maybe sang the words, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. I suspect that David had a sunset experience kind of like the one I described. He sensed God's glory. And we can feel it in the words of his psalm. It says, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from a bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. You see, David uses these two metaphors in this passage to illuminate the brilliance of the sun. He first compares it to a groom coming from his bridal chamber. And we can imagine this groom flush with wonder and passion and all the sweetness of his first time with his love. And the psalmist also compares the sun to an athlete running a course or the Eat, Pray, Run podcast. So we talk about running a lot around here. And he uses the word rejoices. We imagine a runner sprinting toward the finish line with renewed energy and joy. Throughout this psalm, David goes on to describe how God reveals himself, his glory for all to see through creation. And this is different from worshiping nature itself, which God finds offensive. David recognized that creation is actually an arrow pointing us to God. And so friends, we have to create margin in our lives so that we have time to pause and notice his glory around us. Years ago, I challenged myself to write down little glimpses of his glory. Today, as I continue to chase his glory, I find myself pressing in, not just to count the gifts that he gives, but to trace their connectedness to God's glory. And I recognize that we are called to notice God's glory in creation, in our circumstances, and in our relationships. And so when I am overwhelmed by the breathtaking colors of a sunset dancing over ocean waves, I now count it a picture of his glory. When I see the intricate beauty of a snowflake, I name it as his glory. And when you are caught up in a talk with a dear friend that encouragement that you find there is another tangible example of his glory. When you are facing financial troubles or health problems, look for those ways that he might bring glory in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the grief. This is how glory provides a frame, a vantage point for each of us. So Jonathan Edwards, a pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts in the 18th century, wrote extensively about God's glory in his dissertation, The End for Which God Created the World. And he asked these important questions. He says, why did God create the world? What is our purpose in the world? And then he argues the reason we were put on this planet is to give God glory, which will bring us true happiness. 
And Edwards writes it this way. He says, in the creatures, knowing, esteeming, loving, rejoicing in, and praising God, the glory of God is both exhibited and acknowledged. His fullness is received and returned. Here is both emanation and remination. So the beams of glory come from God, are something of God, and are refunded back again to their original. I know he uses these two like big dissertation type words here. And so I just want to give you a, a quick definition here. The first is emanation, meaning the qualities or attributes of something that make it beautiful. So in other words, emanation is what comes from God. He exhibits beauty. You know, I love art galleries and I grew up in Chicago. So on the weekends, we would take the train downtown to visit the Art Institute of Chicago. I loved perusing the galleries for hours and I love being just wowed by the art pieces by artists like Chagall and Monet. And it was so easy to get lost in the huge canvases and those swirls of paint and the curves and the lines and the shapes. We are actually invited into God's art gallery every day. He longs for us to peruse his glory, to get lost in the display he's made in creation. God and his attributes are an exhibit of beauty, an invitation to experience the ultimate glory of God. When we notice his glory in the created world, in the everyday, we are acknowledging that our creator is full of this beauty. We are accepting his invitation into the gallery. Now, the second fancy word that Jonathan Edwards quotes is remination and meaning a response to the good things we see in God, which is part of the glory of God as well. In other words, remination is how we respond or reflect God's glory back to him and to others. Remination is our acknowledgement of God's qualities and the way we participate in God's glory. So remination is not just about going to the art exhibit. It's going to the art exhibit, being moved deeply by that art, and then reaching out to tell others about it. We're not only called to notice God's glory, but we are designed to rejoice in his glory and worship him for his glorious qualities. Our guest today is Pastor Mitchell Lee, and I heard a sermon many years ago that he preached called The Permission for Ambition, and he described the Christian life in this way. He says, as human beings, we are to be glory chasers. And Mitchell's phrase, glory chasers, actually sparked something very deep inside of me, and I prayed for God to show me how can I be a glory chaser every day? Mitchell says, there's no one more glorious than God in all of his excellence, in all of his beauty. There's no one wiser than God. There's no one more sovereign than God. And we were made for him. We were made to perceive his worth. We were made to prize his worth. We were made to pursue his worth. Friends, I want to leave you with that thought today, and I want to ask you this one question for reflection. How do you see God working for his glory in your present circumstances? Welcome back, friends. Sean and I are excited to launch into this week's conversation with our guest and dear friend, Mitchell Lee. Mitchell is a pastor at Grace Community Church in Fulton, Maryland. It's actually the church that I used to attend when I lived in Maryland a few years ago. Now, 
Mitchell has had huge impact on me personally. A lot of his sermons have definitely influenced some decisions I made in my life. So I'm extremely excited for this opportunity to interview him today. And I want to share just a couple things about Mitchell before we welcome him to the broadcast too. He is a lead pastor, as Sean mentioned, at Grace Community Church, which is in Maryland. His background is in linguistics from the University of Maryland, and then he has a Master of Divinity from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and then a Master of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School. So hopefully making a connection with some of you who are listening. He joined Grace initially as a teaching pastor back in 2012, and then he has served as the lead pastor since August 2016. So we're definitely going to be asking him a little bit about that journey, but he has also served in a variety of contexts from South Korea to Chicago to Maryland. And he uh, even has been out to California to uh, perform Sean in my wedding six years ago. <laughs> um, I know the Lord's taken him all over the world. He is also husband to Sarah and father to Calvin, Noah, Benjamin, Beatrice, and Owen. So Mitchell, welcome. Tell us a little bit about what this season of life looks like for you. Oh gosh, what a joy to be with you guys both. I mean, seriously, just, yeah, I'm just kind of really welling up with emotion this is kind of catching me off guard because i just um i'm so fond of the two of you guys and your story has impacted me so much and it's just one of my boasts in the lord i'm like oh my gosh sean and dorina you gotta hear about this sean and dorina i, I, tell, I tell so many people about you guys this season you know when you've got five kids like every season is kind of chaos right? and uh, i mean i mean i i love it i love it but i don't recommend it to anyone <laughs> um <laughs> we, it, it, it's our season of chaos. We've got two in middle school, two in elementary school, and then the fifth one, we just hope he doesn't burn anything down. That's really w where we are. Uh, but like many people, we are trying to figure out what is the right way to recover out of this pandemic? How do we navigate this world with wisdom and courage and compassion? So those are the things that are just a part of our season right now. And it makes for very full weeks. And by full, I don't mean just schedule or activity. I mean, just you really have to devote a lot of temp attention and energy to being deeply rooted in the love of Jesus as you navigate these these days that we're in. And so I think it makes for very full, full weeks and full days right now. Mitchell, what is your book that you just wrote? It's The book is called Even If. What is What is it about and what inspired you to write it? I have to show off the cover yeah. for our YouTube audience here. Woohoo! <laughs> I appreciated so much your encouragement too, Dorino, when I when I shared the cover and you were like, "I love the orange." Well, the the book, even if uh, it's really a declaration, it's not a explanation of suffering. It's a it's a declaration for how we can worship God when life goes sideways. Yeah. And it was a it was a message that really came to me in the dark valley in two thousand two. I was just graduating from seminary. I'd just gotten fired from my church in 2002, my home church of 20 plus years. And I thought, oh my gosh, like the Lord's passing me by. What did I do? What, what, why did this happen? What did I sin? Did I disqualify somehow? Like, what, where did this come from? And it was in that wilderness of about a year and a half, two years, where the Lord was showing me that how, how fragile my faith was, that I worshiped him for the things that he had done. 
the things that he does for me, which is okay to a degree. But then when life goes sideways, when it disappoints, when it just doesn't make sense, we have to be able to stand on something deeper. We have to be able to worship God, not just for the quote unquote blessings that we receive, but for who he is. And it's not about forgetting all the things that he's done, but it's it's this combination of going back and forth between those two, what he what he's done and who he is. So that's where the message really birthed out of me. Uh, I remember very tearfully, I think it was about 2003, uh, confessing to the Lord, Lord, even if I never pastor another church again, I will worship you. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was very, very... Uh, very meaningful and that was the first of many declarations actually through my life even the most recent during this whole covid that mm. gosh even if the even if the church never comes back together right or even if the yeah. church shrinks god i'm going to worship you because you're worthy of it and it's that sort of declaration that sort of resolute faith that i'm writing about and wanting to call people to You know, I love just God's timing Mm -hmm. in having your book come out this year. I want to share the subtitle with our audience um, because I'm not sure we mentioned that yet. It's even if is the main title, but then the subtitle is trusting God when life disappoints, overwhelms, or just doesn't make sense. And I remember seeing that the first time and I thought, look at God. He was knitting together this story in you from, you said 2002, is that right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, developing it and you've been living it and you've been preaching it, but for this book to come out this year in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of, if not all of us thinking that (laughs) our lives are going side sideways (laughs) to Mm -hmm. use your your phraseology, we need this book. Right. And it, it was so powerful just to hold it in my hands. I've actually been reading it slowly and deliberately because there is such a richness in each chapter. And then Sean and I have been listening to your uh, sermon series that you did with your church at at Grace. We'll link that in the show notes as well, but just even walking people through Mm -hmm. the book, through uh, teaching and through sermons. So I just want to say thank you because I know that writing is a labor of love and I want to ask a little bit about this because I know you wrote this book in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> yeah, what a great question, Dorina, because I actually submitted the manuscript in the January of 2020. Wow. So by the end of January 2020. Okay. And then it came back to me in February from the publisher. And it was there was some they were like, you know, we, we need the voice to be a little bit more uh, readable. Can you change these things out? It was a pretty substantial rewrite they were asking me to do, which I was more than happy to do because mm-hmm. I had all these questions about how I was allowed to write. And I chose option A, but they wanted me to choose B. So I said, okay, I'll go back and write it with the option Bs that I wanted. And so I I started to rewrite in March. Everything shuts down in March. And I'm putting out fires all over the church. Yeah. And so I didn't actually touch the manuscript again until about May, till after Easter. And then May, June, I rewrote the book. But by May and June, I had all of these other COVID-related illustrations. And the even if declaration, my own had taken different shape. And so there was a real hand of God, real providence in doing that. There's also that, you know, when a lot of pastors write books, oftentimes it's their sermon stuff that just kind of gets into book form. This was interesting because aside from the first two chapters, I had never actually preached the content of this book. It was stuff that I had 
accumulated, written on, I have an Evernote folder, notebook full of <laughs> even if stuff. And to be able to go through that and also to think through the ways that I had to uh, counsel people and the recurring things, particularly around regrets, fantasy regrets, the if onlys, these things really took a different life. And the first time I was able to present them was in this book. And then the first time I ever preached on it was to my church back in September. Oh, it's so good to just kind of hear some of that backstory. And, And again, I love God's timing with that, that you in conjunction with your publisher had that opportunity to go back and add some of that nuance and some of those new stories that were related to the pandemic. I think that's what makes it so relatable, but it's certainly going to be a book that's evergreen for the future because you're not just writing about the pandemic. Um, For those of us who are in it in 2021, still just kind of walking through some of that, I think it's so powerful. I hope it can, because the message has incubated for so long in me and will continue to do so. I really want it to last. It's not about just a pandemic pandemic, because here's the funny thing. Life never matches up to what we want it to be. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but we're always surprised when it doesn't the next time. Mm-hmm. Like our, our history, we were always used to, oh gosh, yeah, it's never the and then the next time it happens, we get we get shocked and floored and we're like, what do we do? A friend of mine said it this way. He said, You have to decide who God is before you face the fire. Mm. I thought that was so good. Mm. If you're trying to figure out who God is in the midst of it, when everything is just crashing down, uh, you're going to have a hard time. And we have this opportunity to build a kind of even if resolve, even when the weather's good, even before the storm comes. Yeah, And that could make all the difference. As Serena alluded to, we we still continue to listen to a lot of your sermons online, <laughs> have kind of a somewhat standing practice, or I don't even know if I'd say standing, because... Like every Sunday early morning, I try to catch the live feed of the Grace Community Church oh, sermon that's online. The three hour difference. The three hour yeah, difference. Yeah, it, it is a three hour difference. Favor. My yeah. gosh, you just nice. moved up your time by an hour a couple <laughs> month or two ago. <laughs> but actually, I'm on my bike trainer, so I'm working out while I'm listening and watching the sermon. We often hear you talk about your family's practice of Shabbat. Can you explain mm-hmm. to our audience, like, what is Shabbat and, you know, what do you actually do? How does that look? Let me just set the, the current temperature of what Shabbat means for our family right now. And Shabbat is simply, it, in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word for stop, cease. Mm-hmm. It's a 24-hour period where we take our hands off our work. We recognize that God is the one who has been at work and that God gives us our identity and loves us, not because of the work we have accomplished, but because that's who he is. So last night, Thursday, it's been just a really full, grueling week. And one of my kids goes, oh, tomorrow's Shabbat. And everybody was like, oh, yes. Like, we're so looking forward to just stopping. And Someone like, hey, what do we? What should we eat for Shabbat? And is there something fun we can do for Shabbat? And one of the kids is like, it's Disney Plus's two year anniversary on Shabbat. That's amazing, <laughs> right? Like, and you know, the kids are just having so much fun. It's been since it was actually a practice that we, Sarah and myself, mm-hmm. felt really convicted over back in 2019 that we were not created to go seven days a week. Yeah. And if we actually go seven days a week, we will confuse ourselves into thinking that we are God. There is only one who does not sleep nor slumber, and we are not him. 
And so what we do is we start on a Friday night, 6 p.m. We have a great meal. We actually have Shabbat candles uh, that we got in Israel, but you can get them on Amazon, really. Let's be honest. <laughs> and we light a candle. We set our table and meal. We light two candles. Why do we light the candles? And my, even my little ones will say, because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then we will light the candles. We will say a prayer. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Then we'll talk about the work that we've done this week, even the unfinished work. Mm -hmm. We will commend each other. We will thank God. We will read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And then we will pray uh, number 6, 24 over each other. Lord bless you and keep you. And then we eat. And then we have fun. We might watch a movie. There was a period of time where we were having Nerf gun battles in the basement. Uh, we did. It was pretty wild. Like nothing says Shabbat and restfulness and the love of God, like shooting each other with uh, rubber bullets. But uh, welcome to our, I told you it was chaos, right? So we will do that on Friday night. We'll uh, sleep in on Saturday. Dad will make waffles on Saturday morning. And we just take it slow. I've been reading this book called The Book of Delights by Ross Gay on my um, Shabbat mornings. Uh, Sometimes the kids will catch up on their Bible reading. We're trying to read the Bible through cover to cover this year. And so if there's a catch up day, they'll do that. And we will just enjoy it. And it's just become such a delightful part of our rhythm together that we don't have to work for our idea that God gives us that freedom. And so that's been our Shabbat rhythms. And it's kind of caught on. We've had a number of other families engage it. Sometimes we invite community over. So we say, why don't you come and celebrate Shabbat with us? And they'll come and they might not have any idea what's going on, but they'll do it. And it's a great opportunity for them to see a liturgy in practice that we do every week. And it's really become an important part. When we miss it, which sometimes we do, we can feel it in our in our, in our relationships with each other, in our psyches. We can, we can feel that. Thank you for giving us a little window into that practice and what I love about it. And I've heard you talk about it in some of your sermons too, but there's this almost liturgical practice with some of the scriptures that you read and the prayer and lighting the candles. That's like a signal to the kids. We're engaging in this, but then there's also, you know, embracing the chaos and the Nerf guns and the, <laughs> you know, whatever you're going to make for the food that allows us to mix it up. And I think, you know, that's just such a beautiful picture of the rest that God invites us into that mm. we're invited into rhythm and we're mm, invited that's... into that restorative rest, but he also is not, you know, like trying to set up this thing that we have to follow all these rules Right. And so you do that in such a beautiful way. Honestly, it has influenced our family. I think I've been on yeah. a journey with rest since my first husband, Eric Lee died. And since mm -hmm. Sean and I got married, where God has invited me into a journey of grief and healing. And I didn't really know how to rest before mm -hmm. because of the ministry mm -hmm. work that we did. So we don't do an official Shabbat, although maybe we should start calling yeah. it that. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, like a Saturday to Sunday, just really trying to be intentional about rest. Yeah. And I have to tell you this funny story. Our middle daughter, when she, we started sending our kids to a Christian school and there was a little interview with the superintendent. And it was so funny because he asked this question that he asked all the incoming students. He said, you know, what is it that makes us a Christian? And the first thing that she started talking about <laughs> was Sabbath. 
that as Christians that we celebrate Sabbath and we take time to rest. And I, it just <laughs> completely shocked me because I was like, is this even my child? But I think because our family was praying through and talking about, you know, what rest looks like, that that was the first thing that flipped into her mind. Of course, there's other things that are very important <laughs> and critical to our faith, but I just thought it was so interesting that as a, I think, fourth grader, that yeah, that was the thing that was grade. top of mind. <laughs> I love it. But see, that's so, it, it's formational. These practices, these remembrances that God gives us are, they're formational. They, we have to do these things to remember that God is good. Mm. And, and that's where, I mean, I spent so much time with the time in the book. I could boil it down to like, what are the practices to live in even if life? Remember God's goodness. Yes. And part of Shabbat is remembering God's good. If you look at Psalm 91, it's a song for the Sabbath. That's literally the mm. subtitle of that Psalm. It has, you don't see anything in there though, that has anything to mention of sleep, rest, or any of that stuff. It's all about God's, what he has done. Mm. And there, like how much we can rest in that, that God is the one who's been doing it. When we forget that, we think I'm the one who keeps my world in order. Right. So I got to keep going. Or we think that God is like Pharaoh and we have a quota that we have to hit. Mm -hmm. versus the God who is above Pharaoh, who is the Lord Almighty. And he says, now take your hands off your work so that you can remember my goodness to you and that I'm the one who's been doing the work really. Mm -hmm. And I love you and you have an identity outside of your work. Mm -hmm. So those formational practices, I just love it that, that when, you, when your daughter was in fourth grade, that she's able to capture some of that. That formation is happening. That's that's. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good story. Well, I think for me, it's so convicting and also inspiring that not only do I need to do it for myself as a mother, but also for the sake of modeling it for my kids. And it's very mm -hmm. countercultural. So I want to switch gears here a little bit because we have so many different topics we would just long <laughs> to talk to you about. Um, we could go on for hours. I know, we could talk, talk a couple hours Seriously. about Shabbat, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But one of the um, things that we mentioned is you being the lead pastor at Grace Community Church. And part of our podcast, Eat, Pray, Run, is really delving into this idea of God creating us as image bearers mm -hmm. with nuance and uniqueness in different cultures. And one of the things that Sean and I both love about Grace Community Church, and obviously Sean spent a lot more time there in his nine years of living in Maryland, mm -hmm. but we love that you have this multi-ethnic church. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about that with our audience. What does that look like? I know you've been intentional about that. What a great question. What does it look like? We have so many. I bet even Sean, when you were last here, it has changed a lot yes. in the sense of, you know, I was having dinner with, with, with a guy who just started coming to our church and he actually came to our church four years ago and then left. And then some crazy life stuff happened. He ended up coming back and even he's walking in. He's like, man, it just it's just different. Mm. it's different there's this uh he goes back in back in four years ago you were you were it was diverse in terms of the people attending there but now there's this sort of spirit where we we really embrace it and the thing that really just uh blessed my heart and what he was he was just giving me these observations he said uh it, the the people are embracing it but it's not some sort of agenda driven mm. thing that like like he experiences in the world and he said there was just kind of this freedom to it. So just a, a history of our church. Our, our church was, uh, even 10 years ago, probably 90% white. 
uh, maybe even more, maybe 95%. I think, in fact, I, I might have been the first non-white hired on this when I came on about nine years ago. I don't think there was anyone before me. And if you compare that to now, we're, we're probably maybe 50, 55% white. And we've got Asian, Asian American, mm-hmm. African, African American, and then Hispanic in that probably order of uh, percentages. And our staff has uh, become so beautifully diverse. Our purpose in this is really an outworking of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Nobody came up with a sketch to say, Oh, we have to get more diverse, even though somebody could have been warranted to do that because our community is so diverse. If mm-hmm. we were going to reach our community, we should reflect our community. But nobody really had that in mind. We want to just continue to be grace. And God has done this work over the last 10 years. And now we're at this stage where we are saying, okay, if God has done this work, now, Lord, what are you calling us to do to steward mm-hmm. this work that you have done? Another way to say this is we have been very diverse in attendance, and now we are doing some of the harder work of what does it mean to be diverse in ethos, in mm. the way that we view uh. each other, the way we view the church, and the way we celebrate what we make room for, not to make anyone feel bad, mm-hmm. not especially the majority culture, but as an outworking of the gospel, how do we make room for one another? And there have been some really painful conversations in that. There have been a lot of accusations in that. I wish I could say everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. But it's been hard work. It's been it's been a lot of bruises, a lot of cuts. If I didn't have a biblical conviction over it, I would have given up a long time ago. But I just see the potential. I just see the potential. And and it and as it actualizes, mm. oh, it's. Uh, yeah. I grew up in a homogenous church. I grew up in an all-Korean immigrant church. Never in my mind did I think, oh, I want to pastor a multi-ethnic diverse church, but I couldn't see myself doing anything else. It's just so beautiful. I'm really grateful to the Lord for that. So can you share a little bit about your own cultural heritage and how your family came to the U.S.? I'm a Korean American. Uh, My parents immigrated from South Korea in 1974, and I was born in 75 in Maryland. And like I said, I grew up in a homogenous Korean immigrant church, grew up worshiping in a different language. Mm. than my parents because they're worshiping in Korean and worshiping in English because that's all I knew. And I thought when the Lord called me to ministry that he was going to call me to be a pastor in a Korean church for an English ministry. That's really the first four years of training. That's what I had my mind on. That's all I knew. And then the Lord called me to Chicago where basically Sarah and I were the multi-ethnic, we were the ethnic diversity of our church. We showed up in this Midwest church and, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be the student ministry pastor to these Midwest white kids. And we got nothing in common except the gospel. Mm. And man, that church loved us so much. They just really loved on us. They, we became adults at that church mm. and they showed us the power of the gospel to unite and to sharpen. And we're in forever indebted to that. So that's a little bit of my church journey. And then how I ended up in a non-Korean space being a lead pastor of a multi-ethnic church. I love hearing about your journey. And honestly, it's an encouragement to us. You know, we mentioned that we listen to the, the services and we do attend a local church here in Fresno. Yep. But I think for us, yeah, also being in a church where sometimes we are the diversity, it's encouraging yeah. for us and just hearing some of your theology and your passion behind creating that multi-ethnic church, even 
just how God's changed your heart in that, that originally you thought you were going to minister to the Korean church, and then he called you into a new space. You know, a, a way you can think about this is a friend of mine uses this illustration. So it's like, you can be a multi-ethnic church that kind of like functions like the NBA all-star game. So if you know what I'm talking about, you all come from your own teams and you come for the, the event, the game. You might even wear the same jerseys, but after the game's over, everyone goes back to their own team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we didn't want to be that. We didn't want to just be in attendance. Hey, let's all come together. And then there's another kind where it's your family. Yeah. And, and I'm realizing that when you're, in fa- when you're in family and when you're coming from different places, if you're really going to live out a multi-ethnic ethos, everyone's going to be uncomfortable at some point. You're giving something up to do that, mm-hmm. but you're recognizing the beauty and glory of God, the, the, the potential gain, the blessing of what you can experience. I, I, I think that's, that's where we're at right now. We're seeing it, we're tasting it, and it's getting people more and more excited to say, yes, yes, we want to see this. And it's increasing our mission potential because... Now you can bring somebody, you can bring your coworker, yeah. not, and they'd be like, Hey, you're, no, you're going to see people who look like you. I promise. Come on, let's go, <laughs> and, uh, let's go and hang out. And we're seeing a little bit of recovery that way. Well, this podcast is all about learning how to chase God's glory through our everyday oh. lives. And I just mm. have to give a shout out to you because honestly, that phrase chasing God's glory came from one of your sermons. And I think Sean gave me this sermon, maybe when we were dating like six or seven years ago, I want to say it was called permission for ambition. And you were talking about this idea of being a glory chaser that we were called to be glory chasers. And that phrase just stuck with me. And it was during a really critical time for me in my grief journey. And even in bringing Sean and me together that Mm -hmm. I wanted to just be lifting my eyes to what God was doing in the world and look for his glory and chase after it. So Mm -hmm. I have to ask you this question that we ask all of our guests, but really this originated with that sermon um, that influenced me so much. How have you seen or experienced God's glory even right now in this week, in this season of your life? Oh gosh. Well, you know, we, I have an advantage here on the East Coast at this time of year because our trees change color. And so today I was out with some friends and you just see this one tree. It's just bursting in red. It's just bursting in red. And I remember sitting back and like, God, you were just, why, why are you such a show off, God? I mean, <laughs> seriously. And it's just, it's just blowing up in red. And I'm like, man, like. What kind of God thinks about even to that level? I, I want to sh- show you my glory here and transforming something mm-hmm. that goes from green to red. But here's the thing that actually put me over the top. The tree right next to it was completely bare, mm-hmm. just um, naked. And there was even this beautiful glory to it. And it, was, it reminded me of this phrase that uh, this preacher, Fred Craddock, says. He says, like, you know, when you see a bare tree, it's like their bony fingers crawl, calling up to the heavens to cover it with snow. Mm-hmm. And like, even in that, like, so there's this transition and this bare tree, naked, it could look so dead, but you know, it's teeming with life. And even though the winter is going to come, you know, it's going to bud again and that their green is going to come out like the new season. So that one was, was like really fresh to me today, just the the glory of God and the changing of seasons. I, I like to tell my church that, so it, the encouragement is if you're in a season right now that you're not content with, or you're just, there's a lot of sorrow in this season, endure, hang on, that God will change the season. 
But also, if you're in a season right now where it's going great and everything's wonderful, endure because God will change the season. <laughs> and and right. over it all, God is he's Lord over the seasons. So that's one area of glory. Yeah, I'll tell you another one. This was a little bit, might sound weird, but it was a really hard week this week. Mm. There were some really, really heavy meetings, like just really potentially hard meetings. And there were some situations in there where I was like, you know what? I could have, and I probably should have been really defensive during these really hard meetings, like mm-hmm. real hard accusations coming at me and stuff. And the Lord gave me this grace to be what we call differentiated, holding my convictions, but staying connected. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there, I, I give glory to God for that. Like that, that's the Lord sustaining me and keeping me. So I, there was a glory in that too. For sharing that example, yeah. I think, you know, mm-hmm. just reminding ourselves, and this is what even if is all about and being a yeah. glory chaser is recognizing mm-hmm. that God's glory is in the hard and in the conversations that are not comfortable and mm-hmm. in the beauty of the colorful leaves on that tree that you mm-hmm. just poetically shared with us. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I would tell I, you this, the two of you guys, like your guys' story, mm-hmm. I mean, your guys story came up many times in my imagination as i was writing this book mm. i mean several times i mean you guys would be i, I call them the hashtag even if warriors you guys would be like in the, even if hall of fame and i needed to make sure i said that at some point because that's just the kind of respect and esteem and uh mm. affection i have for the two of you guys mm. well thank you for oh, thank the ways you. that you've encouraged us in our story yeah. too i love that just intertwining of those themes we're gonna be closing up here in just a few minutes which is kind of painful because i think we can hang out for a while Um, but just some closing questions since we are the eat pray run podcast and i have to admit i'm kind of a foodie so i've got to ask you about food here Uh, you mentioned that your heritage is korean american and i am wondering if there is a specific korean dish that you love marinated short rib. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> when you barbecue, you barbecue it out. It's called galbi in uh, mm. Korean. And unfortunately, I introduced my boys to it too early because they love it, and it's like stinking expensive. So we cannot, <laughs> we cannot feed them it. But that's a that's a that that's like hands down. But there's also this sort of like Korean pancake that you can make with lots of different seafood and vegetables and things like that. That one's like particularly fond for me and Sarah because my mother-in-law used to make that so well. Like she just was like mm-hmm. another level. And so every time we eat that, we, we think of her and we, we're reminded of her. So that brings a different sort of nostalgia and, and flavor to the meal. Huh. I love it. Okay. So we definitely need to come visit your family for Shabbat. Correct. Did you guys next time? Yes. Yeah, seriously, you're on the East Coast and make sure you're uh, uh, around for a Friday night. And come over and bring the girls and yeah. We just have a, we'll have a blast. We have a blast. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I have been giving your uh, book out to uh, different runners. There's quite a running culture at our church. Oh. And you, you know, Sean, it's, it's kind of weird. Cause I'm not a runner. Like I, I, you know, you've heard me say like, I think twice before driving 26 miles. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, but it has, even in amongst our, some of our staff who are runners, yeah. your devotional has been really neat to see people like, Oh man, there's people have thought about how to connect running to our walk with God. I'm like, yep, and I know them. So, uh, <laughs> I, love been, uh, I love it. I love it. It's been really, really, really cool too. <laughs> 
Well, as part of the Eat, Pray, Run podcast, we've already asked you about food and eating. What about prayer? What role does prayer play in your life today? That's a really great question, especially over the last two years. Uh, I've really been learning some contemplative practices, mm-hmm. and it's actually changed the way that I've been praying, especially in the, like, the stillness and silence, starting the day and ending the day. Uh, I have a prayer list that I go through. Uh, the last, I'd probably say the last six months, Sean, I've been, I, I haven't been doing my prayer list. I've been in this, my st- silence and my stillness in my evening exam, and I've been asking the spirit to bring names and people to mind. Okay. And those are the people that I've been spending time praying with. And it's pretty wild, the people that the spirit of God will bring to mind for me mm-hmm. in my intercessory prayer. But in my contemplative prayer life, it's really been the sustaining rhythm for me of in the morning, stillness, silent, Lectio Divina, and then in the evening, closing the day by thinking and recalling and remembering God's goodness to me, where I felt his presence, where I ignored his presence during the day, and how that can draw me back to him. And it's been transforming. There's nothing nothing less to say than that. It's been really transforming. Well, thanks for those examples. That's part of the reason why we love to ask that question of our guests, because we've learned even in this past season with 12 episodes that everyone prays a little bit differently and there's permission and invitation to do that. So I love hearing about some of those prayer practices. Mm -hmm. Last question, you've already established that you're not a runner, but I happen to know that you do like exercise. You happen to be a golfer. Is that right? And a fisherman. Fisherman. Tell us. (laughs) I love the outdoors and whenever I can walk around of 18, I'll walk I'll do that. But, you know, every week I'll do a backpacking trip, usually something pretty epic with some buddies. This past one, this is really cool. Sarah and I got to do one with another couple. And we did a 38 mile, four night, five day backpacking trip into the wilderness of Glacier National Park. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And we came back and we we're like, okay, we need to get better shape because that like kicked our butts. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it kicked our butt. Props to your wife for following you for 38 miles. <laughs> well, well, there's a grand assumption there, Dorina. I was actually following her. <laughs> she is such girl, a That's beast. my girl. I mean, she's just taken. I'm just like, you know, covered in the dust of my rabbi, you know, <laughs> follow her along but she was such a beast and so yeah i really love to do that i'll hike a long way to try to get to some really amazing places to fish and so we i mean it was probably one of the most beautiful places on earth i've ever fished we hiked 18 miles in and i'm at this like alpine lake huge mountains surrounding me glacier on top melting into a waterfall and we caught like 50 fish and I kept five of them. I think I, you know, went to another level in my husbandry, but I took, I took five of them and I made a Thai curry rainbow trout dish in the back country. Uh, how about that? How about that? And when your wife says this might be the best fish meal I've ever had, you're like, props. That's good. So cooking um, in the backwoods. In the backwoods. You don't have a lot of stuff you're carrying with you, but uh, you know, and you're you're filleting that fish and doing all that sort of stuff. We try to get out outside a lot, um, exercise that way. Sarah and I would go on a lot of walks together. I should get into running, but it's so funny. Okay, I, I got to share this one. One of our pastors ran his first marathon a few weeks ago, and he said it was his worst run that he's ever had in terms of training. And so he's like at mile 17, 18, 
he's like just movement's not going well. So he's had all, all these other people at our church who run. One guy's running with him, and he's just a little bit ahead of him, like trying to pace him. He's like, "Okay, stay with, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it." And I kid you not, this is what he told him to motivate this pastor. He said, "Remember, Mitchell doesn't even drive twenty six miles. Mitchell doesn't even drive twenty six miles." And he said that was the motivation to get him to finish. So I like to say I had some kind of contribution there、uh, to do that for him to help him. One day when I grow up, I'll be like you guys and be able to pound the pavement. But I do have some good running shoes. I did get hey, some running shoes, and I think that's, that's the first step, right?、Hey. That's the first step. Just put the shoes on every day and and start somewhere. So. Uh, Lord willing, I'll, I'll get there. We always say your pace is your pace. So、right. you know what? I, I think、Amen. hiking Glacier National Park definitely counts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your pace is your pace. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to remember. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> keeps us from comparison. All right.、It、keeps us from getting down on ourselves because we're not what we think we should be. That's so good. Your pace is your pace. So, how can we support you in your work, and where can people find you?、Uh, MitchellLee dot com is the place where I will blog. There's also links there for the book. You can find me on Facebook, Pastor Mitchell Lee page, or Rev M Lee on Instagram. So, those are ways to connect. But really, if you want to hear some of the stuff I'm teaching and thinking about, that's in Grace dot Community. Go there, and you can listen to all our sermons and. We're getting ready for Advent to do a singable theology in Advent Christmas edition, where we're going to look at、oh, wow. some Christmas carols and the theology behind them. But we're actually going to look at it through the lens of the second Advent, because Advent is not just a season for the first Advent, but it's supposed to say to remind us, because he came at first, we know he will come again. So that's a series that we're looking forward to doing in Advent at the end of November. Those are some ways to support the ministry. Come in and just say hello. I really cherish the personal interactions, even if it's an Instagram message or a Facebook message. I got one from a Taiwan、wow. that she's reading, even if, and it's、um, encouraging her so much. And she's a missionary out there. And in my acknowledgments of the book, actually, some of the people who help shape the message the most are people serving in some of the hardest places on the earth. They're my even if heroes too. And so I was really delighted to hear that there was a missionary in a really hard place being encouraged by the message as well. We will definitely include Mitchell's links that he mentioned in our show notes. We hope people will connect with him personally.、Yeah. We've been handing out this book to all our people. I've read through it, and it's an incredible book. So I highly recommend it. And it just even helped me just rethink: okay, how much resolve do I have to worship God when you know、Ooh. times are tough? You know, it's、yeah. easy to worship God when you're on a mountaintop experience, when life is good and you're sailing through it. But you know, what about those、uh, times when things aren't really okay?、Mm. So. Right. And I got to record the audio book, which which is so fun. So if people want to listen, if people want to hear my voice as the last thing before they fall asleep, they can do that as well. <laughs> <So> . <laughs> when they're running, <laughs> or、oh, when they're running. Okay. Right. <laughs> Actually, I listen to it on my bike trainer as well. Yeah. And 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 you can be like when you're running, you hear my voice, and you can just think to yourself, "This is the guy who wouldn't drive 26 miles." So, so and just and <laughs> let it motivate you. <laughs> Motivation. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today and share about your book and your life. We are praying for you and your、yes. ministry, and for Sarah and the kids. And we just consider it an honor to feature your story today. So, thank you. 
thank you guys. It's such a joy to be with you and to, you know, for those watching on the YouTube, to see you. It's just really, it really does my heart good. Oh, I love that conversation that we had with Mitchell today, just so inspired and challenged by his life and his message. And I want to take a few minutes now to pray for him and his family. If you would join me, Lord Jesus, we thank you for Mitchell. We thank you for this book that he wrote, even if, and I pray God that this message from you, Lord, that it would multiply to the multitudes, that it would reach out to people across the world who find themselves in difficult circumstances, who are facing daily situations where they might have to make that even if declaration. And I pray, God, that this book would move beyond the borders. I pray that this book would draw people back to your heart and that there would be a sense of resolve and inspiration in each one of us, that even if, even if we will follow you. I pray for Mitchell's family. We thank you for Sarah and his five kids. We pray just a hedge of protection over them. We pray that you would continue to give them energy for the work that you've called them to. We pray that you would bring order to the chaos we pray that you would just bind them together as a couple and as a family. And we pray over his ministry. We pray for Mitchell and Grace Community Church, where he is the lead pastor, and for the many places where he is continuing to share your word. I know he does that through podcasts and through guest speaking conferences and camps. So God, would you continue to protect his heart? Would you continue to protect their practice of Shabbat and rest? And would you continue to use him in a powerful way? And I pray for anyone who might be listening right now, who's been touched by this message that maybe they want to make an even if declaration today. I pray for that person, God, would you draw them close? Would you remind them of your presence and your glory? And we pray that in Jesus name. Amen. I'd like to conclude with this quote from Mitchell's book, Even If, that we've talked about several times during our broadcast today, he writes, come success or failure, fertile valley or raging fire, I will worship you. I will trust in your goodness to me, a goodness that promises unfailing protection, even in unsafe places. Before we close, I just wanted to share a few more details with you about our book, Walk, Run, Soar. We hope you will add this one to your Christmas gift list. It's a 52-week devotional and training journal designed to explore the theme of walking and running with Jesus in the Bible. This is a great book for individuals or groups to stay on track with both fitness and spiritual goals. We even include workout plans in the back if you're running a 5K, 10K, or half marathon. Head over to www.darinagilmore.com for details. 
Thank you for joining us for season three, episode 12 of the Global Glory Chasers Eat, Pray, Run podcast. It is our joy to be able to serve you in this way. And remember, we'll be returning on November 28th, 2021 with four bonus episodes of the podcast for Advent. I've done this for the last several years, and I always focus on a theme. This year, our theme is chosen. Subscribe right now, and you won't miss out on these bonus episodes.